0: So last week, thank you all for being here again, (laughs) but anyway, so last week when we left off, there were some things that I needed to try to check on for us and try to help us out a little bit. Now, we are in lesson number five of our book, David and Saul, and we were reading in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we ran across a few things we had some questions on. Like one of the references, if we look at question number two, let me bring that up for us. If we look up question number two, it had this reference to Genesis forty-nine ten. And Genesis forty nine ten reads, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. And we noted that Shiloh is a reference to the Lord, to the Messiah, but we didn't quite understand. And from what I was able to gather from looking at this is that Shiloh is kind of a title or a designation, but the meaning is, he whose it is, so until he whose it is comes, meaning he's, he whose right it is to rule, Because that's the other, it's he whose it is or he whose right it is. So the scepter would not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until the Messiah would come, he whose right it is to rule for all time, eternal. But even the Lord was from Judah, so, but that's, but it says, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So we know, and that's to the Lord, so. So I hope that is a little clearer. Now, admittedly, I don't know the origination of how they decided that that's what Shiloh was, but then I don't know Hebrew, which we're going to run into again here because there was something else we wanted to look at. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 4 and 5, because we had a question on this, and if you look at this, it reads like this. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem and the elders of the town, trembling at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? Well, in this first sentence in verse five, the first sentence, he is replying to the elders of the town. And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Now there, He's speaking to the elders of the town. Then he goes and he oversees Jesse and his son's consecration. In other words, their preparation to come and do the sacrifice. Because when they prepared for sacrifice, they did uh, did wash and clean. Though it's hard to find exact references to that. But I did find, like in Exodus... The same word is used in both these senses. where it says sanctify yourselves. Now I'm looking at the New King James Version. It says sanctify yourselves in one sentence and then in the next, it says then he consecrated, but the actual Jewish word in both those instances is the same word. So you could say he told the elders to sanctify themselves and then he went and he made sure that Jesse and his sons were sanctified properly because he was expecting one of them to be the king, right? Now, David wasn't among them at that time, but that's what was going on. So Samuel was overseeing that to make sure that they were prepared. And it's kind of like in Exodus chapter 19, verse 10 at Mount Sinai. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate or sanctify again, the same word, the same Hebrew word today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes In other words, go and make sure everybody gets cleaned up and wash their clothes, prepare themselves. And this was partly uh, a ritual, cleaning, and partly um, I think of it as, you know, we mentally and emotionally kind of prepare ourselves when we come. We have rituals we go through every Sunday morning. I get up, I take a shower, I try to get dressed in a nice way and, and come to church and, you know, but also there's mentally and emotionally, we we kind of prepare ourselves to come and worship the Lord. And we, we tend to think more, maybe that's not the best, well it's true though, we tend to think more of God on Sunday morning, don't we? I'm not saying we don't think about him the rest of the time, don't, don't be mad at me, but... Sunday morning, I'm like, yeah, this is the Lord's day. This is, I'm really thinking even more so about the Lord. I try to think of the Lord every day, first thing when I get up, but I know I'm not always successful. But Sunday morning, yeah, I'm already thinking of that. And so I think that's part of their consecration. It is a ritual bathing, but it's also, I think it puts their mind and their spirit in a position to be devoted to and consecrated to and Focusing on the Lord. And I think that was the whole idea. And I have those definitions. We talked about this a little bit Sunday. I'm not sure if everybody was here Sunday morning or not. But the real, I think the real meaning that we see in the Bible for sanctify is like the first one to set something apart and dedicate it to God. And then the last two really seem to be the same to me, free from sin and to be morally right and acceptable. And then the other one, we do use that, uh, but it's not, I don't think that's used quite as much in the Bible, having a binding religious sanction like marriage, but it is used, it is there. I just, not as much as far as in the rituals go. That's, just my way of thinking of it. Does that help? Because sanctify and consecrate do have some of the same meaning. Because consecrate means to declare something sacred and solemnly dedicate it to a divine purpose. And then, like I said, they're using the same Hebrew word for both of those. Yes. I
1: was that. say, when we're baptized, we can use both of those words too. Yes.
0: Yes, we could. Because we are sanctifying well, I'm not going to say we're sanctifying ourselves. The Lord is sanctifying us through baptism. <laughs> and then, But we are dedicating ourselves to the Lord at that time. We're consecrating ourselves. At, and that, yeah? I just read something on Facebook. I don't know if y'all read it or not.
1: It's, it's all humorous. humor. One of the Catholic priests has been baptizing for years. Oh, yeah that we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And now they're saying, and now we all know that's not right anyway, but now they're saying all those people that were baptized, babies and children and adults, were not really saved, because he should have said, I baptized you, because the congregation was not doing it, he was, he was saying we.
0: He used we instead of I. Of so he, he said, baptized. We baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, or Holy Ghost. In
1: other words, it
0: was giving the congregation. Uh, and so he's saying it's invalid for that it's reason.
1: Their law. Yeah. Yeah. They got well, that's what he's saying. It's okay, well. But you're baptizing, in that instance, you're baptizing
0: babies. In the first place, it's all Yeah, I mean, it. Okay, yeah. So first of all, they were wrong anyway if they're baptizing babies and yes, yeah, that's absolutely right. It is. But I don't think I don't think the the word or the verbiage is that particular. Sometimes I get a little weird in just that I don't wanna I don't wanna give myself credit for things that the Lord does, you know. So when uh, you said we he's given the congregation
1: authority that he's supposed to have so called priests.
0: Right, I understand. Anybody in our congregation men wise
1: can baptize But the priest, when he says we, he's given them
0: authority he's the only supposed to have. Right, right. For them only the priest could baptize, I understand. Okay. (laughs) I
1: decided
0: that is kind of strange. Yes, surely.
1: You know the the Catholic they have to have the word for word. I know a friend of mine. He was supposed to say a prayer one time and he couldn't memorize it. So he had me to type it out for it small enough to get hold of his hand. And he had to read it word for word.
0: Okay, so he had to say the prayer word for word, it had to be exactly the same. Okay. And he couldn't memorize it, so you typed it up so he could read it. Wow. I didn't know they were like that. Okay, but of course I don't. I've never been to Catholic, so you know.
1: I don't know that much about it. but I do know that.
0: Okay, was it in Latin? Because they used to be really strict about being in Latin too, but that was a long time ago. Okay. I read it in English. Right. That's good. Okay. But when they say the rosary, it has to be word for
1: word.
0: Yes. So Shirley, I'm sorry.
1: how they baptize? They the sprinkle or, or do they submerge or if
0: they're uh, not submerging, it's invalid anyway. Right, right. I believe the Catholic thing is they sprinkle the baby. Now, y'all can correct me. That was always my impression. Do they submerge the babies in the Greek Orthodox? I did not know that.
1: Uh, oh, do they all sprinkle?
0: Well, see, I, I don't know all the different varieties either. So. so, But yeah, if they submerge the baby, that's still incorrect. The baby has no idea. The baby can't believe. Well, it has no sin, but it can't believe either. It can't know and understand and believe, and we have to be able to believe. Because we're making, we're kind of uh, fulfilling a contract, right? We're, we're having a covenant or making a covenant with God, and a baby just isn't capable. It's not to be mean to the baby at all. But, so, all right. Is everybody okay with that, or are we ready to... Right. That does have to be our main focus that we Right. That we try to do everything correctly to the best of our knowledge, right, and ability. Right. That's true. Okay. So, I'm going to continue on. We were at question number 7 last week. And if you remember, we had been reading Like I said, in chapter 16, 1 through 13, if you need to go there, it's 1 Samuel, chapter 16. But uh, what two things happened to David during this, I guess, event? When Samuel came and got... Yes, don't... Right, that's, that's the two things. Uh, Samuel anointed David, so David was anointed, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. So that was the two things that happened to David there. So question number eight, what is meant by anointed this is another one of those vocabulary words. What's meant by anointed? All right. Okay. That's fine. I understand. So anointed, this, especially in this case, there's there's two things. Um, He had the oil poured or rubbed or smeared on him, and that's part of the ceremony, the ceremonial part of it, it was the oil was, I think, uh, does it say it put it that he anointed his head with it? Took the horn of oil and anointed him, so he poured it on his head, okay, and the second part of that anointing, he was chosen as the king, he was chosen as the leading person for that position, or chosen as a successor, in this case, to Saul. So he was anointed to be king and I just there's just the mundane side of that and then there is the the actual meaning of it. So he had oil put on his head much like crowning a king and it made him their leader. Samuel was saying this is your, you know, your leader going forward. Yes.
1: There's, there's a recipe for that in Exodus chapter 30.
0: I wrote all of it down. I want to read Exodus 30 23 and 24 right Is that I I heard it? I read it my book. well I can probably I can probably find it if y'all want to know the recipe I know I read this recently I've I've gotten through Exodus and I'm like into Leviticus in my personal stuff Um You said thirty.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. So yeah, the holy anointing oil. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Also take for yourself quality spices: five hundred shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet smelling, sweet smelling, not selling, sweet smelling cinnamon, uh, two hundred and fifty shekels of sweet smelling cane." 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil, and that's how you would make, and and you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, anointment compound according to the art of the perfumer, it shall be a holy anointing oil. Those measurements don't mean a lot to us, we could look up what that should be i don't know that off the top of my head as far as how much a shekel should be but still you could look that up and and you could make your own anointing oil well who would you anoint i don't well i don't know surely that has other purposes that you could use in in praying for someone and anointing them for hopefully special, yeah, for healing or special uh, comfort from the Lord in some way. But, yeah. All right. So, how was it, okay, the second part of this, we really, Eileen really answered this for us. How was it done? And, Um, yes. Yes. Okay. I'm I'm in Exodus thirty. Yes. We went through you know how
1: to make this what, but in thirty verse thirty one, no thirty two. It says, "Upon man's flesh shall it not be poured, neither shall shall you make any other like it after the composition of it." It is holy, and it shall be holy
0: unto you. Ah, maybe this is not the oil he used then. Maybe this is not the oil he used. They used
1: it on the priest to consecrate them. Well, verse 33 says, Whosoever confoundeth any like it, or whosoever puteth any of it upon a stranger, shall even be cut off from his people. Okay. Yes.
0: Right, yes, okay, right. What Shirley's saying, and, and that's correct, I didn't read far enough down, of course, the holy anointing oil was for specific purposes, whatever was outlined here.
1: It sounds to me like it was to anoint people like
0: Aaron and his sons, consecrate them from the priesthood. It says, You shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the table and its utensils, the lampstand, the altar. You shall consecrate them. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them. Right? but it's limited to these uses. So you're right. This is not the same oil that Samuel used on David. So I I appreciate that clarification. Yes. But they did have other oil that
1: they used because it was, they lived in a desert climate. Um, And it talks about um, I think in the Psalms, the oil of gladness. It was a refreshing thing. They were so parched. and.
0: Right. I'm sure they had different oils and different things. And uh, I had forgotten that about this, that you weren't supposed to make something really similar or try to simulate it, which is basically what God is telling them. You don't, you know, if you're going to do another oil, you do another different oil, totally. You don't do something real close to this and say, no, it's not quite that, because, you know, he wasn't going to approve that. Huh? I
1: think that's telling you' just not to misuse
0: it. It is for anointing right. But but say it doesn't it doesn't specifically say that Samuel used that. It does say that he took the horn of oil and anointed him, but we don't know specifically what oil was used. so And I'm okay with that. That's fine. He was still anointed as king regardless of what they used. so Okay, so that's great. Now, um, what was its purpose? I think we answered that, didn't we? (laughs) We answered that. What was its purpose? Well, it made, made him their leader. Okay. Does anyone have anything else on that? All right. So, question number nine. How was the coming of the Spirit related to kingship? And you can look at Isaiah 11:2 if you want. Isaiah 11:2 says it says this. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So this was God's spirit so that he would be leading and guiding them correctly. You'll notice, these are, we wish all our leaders had the wisdom and understanding and the counsel. I mean, I wish I had the wisdom and the understanding and the counsel like I should. So, you know, it's, uh, these are things we, we would want every leader to have, right? So that they would know the wise and the right things to do for the nation. And so that they would follow the Lord correctly. Yes? Is it correct to assume that um,
1: at the end of chapter 15, where uh, Saul says in verse 30, I have sinned, and uh, we see in verse 35 that Samuel saw Saul no more. Uh, is it safe to assume that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul about
0: and was waiting for the anointing. Okay. We're getting ready to read this anyway. Look at first Samuel chapter sixteen, verse fourteen. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. So that's the first thing we're told right there. David receives the Spirit of the Lord. Now Saul had the Spirit of the Lord up to this point, but here the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul he was no longer like samuel warned him and told him you are no longer king so kind of like when elijah was translated to heaven the of fire and the spirit lay on elisha. right elisha took over right for elijah after after he went up yes i guess that's similar to that yes But there's more to it so let's let's read uh the next few verses in first samuel chapter 16 this is verses 14 through 23 but the spirit of the lord departed from saul and a distressing spirit from the lord troubled him and saul's servants said to him surely a distressing spirit from god is troubling you let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp, and it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing or evil spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, Who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers, messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. So question number 10, which I I guess is pretty easily answered, what happened to Saul?
1: Mentally ill after. Well, that started, that's not a good word. He was depressed. depressed
0: after the spirit left He was, He would get into these moods. And, the spirit of the Lord left him, and he does act a little weird. Then. Mentally crazy after this, I know. I mean, that's true. He does act out, um, hating. And even being ready to kill David, who would mean him no harm, you know, that's that's the sign of someone who's got something wrong with them, in my opinion. So I mean, well,
1: the what I didn't know how to say? but
0: yeah, but uh, but then he had this evil spirit, and that's one translation of that word where it says distressing was uh, was evil. He had this evil spirit come and take its place and trouble him. And like you said, that may be also akin to like being depressed or being another in other ways disturbed. It's
1: kind of ironic that he's asking David for help, and David's going to
0: be the new king. He doesn't know it. Right. It is kind of it is kind of odd or ironic that he has David come and be his player and his uh armor bearer and yet David is going to be his replacement and I guess he doesn't know it at this time, right? I'm sure Samuel didn't tell him, so
1: it sounds like though when David's family was consecrated, his brothers and his father, but they knew it. But they didn't tell David. Is that right or
0: not? You mean they knew that David had been anointed? Well he had- Well, David was anointed in front of his brothers and his father with them around. So they knew he had been anointed. Beyond that, it doesn't say much else. I don't know that they. I don't know if they knew and understood that or not. And I don't know if, even if they did, would they have said something to Saul knowing that that might endanger him? Probably not. I wouldn't want to get my brother killed either, so I can understand that. And back then, a threat to a king or a leader, a lot of times they their response was to kill you. So uh, that still went on for a long time. Does anyone have anything else on that? All right. Question number 11 here. Sorry about that. Question number 11. How did David establish a relationship with Saul? Which I guess we could say David did not actively do that, did he? He Right. He was appointed and appointed by Saul, right? Saul called for him. And so he ended up in a relationship with Saul that... uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess you wouldn't really really it if you were a shepherd, you know, and a young man, and you weren't really, you know. Yes? David seems to
1: be open to God's leading and God to use him. However, God purposed for David to be used. He knew that he had been anointed by Samuel, and
0: if you notice one of the in verse 18, one of the servants was talking about David was saying, you know I've seen a son of Jesse and if you'll notice how he mentions him, I mean David already had a good reputation. So you're right. I mean he, he was skillful in playing. he was a mighty man of valor. Prudent in speech. That's difficult to come by. <laughs> it is. That's hard to come by. Prudent in speech. So, especially for a young man, that's that can be difficult. For others to describe David to the king and say, the Lord is with him. There has to be something significant that others were aware of. Right. For them to say that the Lord was with him, Yeah. Yeah. Because they do say that, and the Lord is with him. So he had, like I said, he had a good reputation. Now that really, uh, our time for this evening is, is done. We will pick up. What's next? We will pick up with our next question. Oh, it's the next lesson. That's why it looked odd to me. Okay, so we'll pick up with lesson six next week. Oh, and I'm sorry, but I do thank you all for your attention and your interaction and everything. If we look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And he called his name Jesus. Now, when we think of the birth of the Lord, we often think of a lot of things, all the, the trappings that go with that. We think of the the wise men, the star, the manger. We think of Mary, and we we think highly of Mary. I think Matt mentioned this here a few weeks ago. Uh, we don't want to dismiss her. She was a very special young lady, and you know it was chosen for this. And that's definitely true and correct that we should honor her in that sense, you know, remembering her for what she did. Um, Her obedience to God and willingness to serve, you know, and in light of the issues this could have caused her because she was found with child, but betrothed to someone. And in that day and age, that could be, uh, that could even be a death sentence. So, because they were still, they were still stoning people back then. We know that. We know that even from the New Testament, where uh, Stephen was stoned, and where they even attempted to uh, stone Jesus at one point, one time, but he disappeared and moved away, got got away. Um. So. Let's see. So the point I was getting at, though, is that also we should note and uh, realize that there's another special person involved here. You know, God knew what he was doing and knew the people that were going to be involved. And Joseph was the other person. He was a special man. He was faithful and he followed God. His obedience played a big part in the birth of Jesus. His first instinct, even before the angel appeared, if you'll remember, was to actually shield Mary. He was going to.